0: you will get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. And if you want to learn even more about Thorne, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorne. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome back on the show for the fourth time, Tim Kennedy. Now, as you know, the core of this show is not only to identify problems, but also bring solutions to them. And Tim has done that in so many areas, whether the creation of Sheepdog Response to train our law enforcement and civilians, or his new school Apogee to challenge the education system and bring a different path to the young men and women in the Austin area. So we discuss a host of topics from mental health, his work with Save Our Allies, his new biography, Scars and Stripes, and so much more. I also want to point out this was recorded before the horrendous tragedy in Texas. That's why it is not mentioned in this conversation. So before we get to this amazing interview, as I say every single week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I welcome back Tim Kennedy. Enjoy. Well, Tim, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to come on for the fourth time now on the Behind the Shield podcast. Wild times.
1: I guess I'm doing something right to be on
0: here. I guess I'm doing something right to to have yeses from you. That's pretty amazing. So I want to tell everyone a little story I shared with uh, Jason as well. So Jason Kaliba was on here recently. Um, So I was at Sandlock Jacks a few weekends ago and was with my son, and uh talking to someone in one of the vendors' tents, and all of a sudden it's like someone switched off gravity, and I wasn't on the floor anymore uh <laughs> and It was you that had picked me up, obviously, I had zero situational awareness so let's uh let's start with that. Tell me about um you know how you got to soundlot Jacks, and then what your experience was of that event um you know coming out of this last couple of years with us, so many people kind of being segregated in more ways than one yeah.
1: Uh, Jason, the the founder of go Ruck, is uh, a friend from special forces days and, um, not like it's, uh, like it's a cult or anything, but we definitely try to support each other as best we can. And, um, it, it, which is wildly different than a lot of veterans. I don't know why, for some reason, there seems to be a lot of backbiting and, um, backstabbing and just complaining, you know, not veterans supporting vet- veterans, so you know it's 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 different with green berets. I, I love all my brothers that that I've served with that have had the unique distinction of wearing a green beret. And Jason, the founder of Ruck, is one of them. And so when he asked if I could come out and support, there was no hesitation. You know, of course, man, I'll I'll do anything that I can. So I ended up doing a keynote with him and, uh, and then doing a bunch of. I guess they turned out to be publicity things, but Jason was just like, Hey man, do you want to go do the obstacle course with some gold star kids? I'm like, yes. He's like, Hey, do you want to go uh, do it with some other like green berets? I was like, uh, yes. Hey, do you want to go? And you know, so whatever he asked, I would just go and do. And, um, and then Jason who had spoke the day before, you know, obviously everybody knows him from CrossFit. Jason Khalifa is, is a monster and one of the most ridiculous specimens of an athlete. Uh, but he has had, a, I think a very similar approach to me when it comes to fitness, uh, which is consistency. He is always going after it. Uh, and one of his new passions is jujitsu. Another thing where we overlap and, um, he is, he has been training for a few years and is, and, and was passionate about it. And he also has noticed that fitness has seemingly been absent from a lot, a lot of brazilian jiu-jitsu competitors fight camps um so we, we you know we are having conversations about that then like if we can roll if we had time and we we're like trying to figure out in the crazy busy weekend uh that that go rock event was like how do we fit it in and ultimately it ended up me just I, am not going to say commanding or begging, pleading, imploring. I just like asked anybody, can we get some mats out here? Like, can you just bring us mats? So they brought Jason and I mats and, uh, we, in just the middle of the afternoon, slapped a little, a low five bump knuckles, and then tried to choke each other unconscious.
0: Beautiful. Well, I missed that because uh, I forget what we were doing now, but I had to take my son But Oh, that's right. I promised him melting pot. <laughs> the kid is obsessed with that restaurant. So uh, he'd been waiting about two years to go eat there. So we went off and had uh, dinner, and that's why I missed you guys rolling. But, um, but yeah, but, I mean, that was like talk of the town the next day. And then we took – my son and I took your kind of intro to jiu-jitsu class the following morning as well. So talk to me about that. Was it? You know, what was your perception of that particular group that attended that festival? I, I have. I,
1: I had un unbeknownst to everyone else that was attending that event and competing specifically in that event. I knew that the final event was going to be a grappling based event. Um, and I was excited of, I mean, I love fitness. I love combatives. I love martial arts. I love self-defense and I don't know why they seemingly seem separated for whatever unknown Ungodly reason, you know, like you've never seen a jujitsu or a wrestling or a boxing event at a CrossFit event, and uh, or even at like, you know, um, the tactical games, like a shooting event, you know, like okay, cool, you you both did great with pistol. Um, what if you guys were two feet closer? Would you still be able to get a draw before I got my hands on you? You know, in like the full spectrum of what it means to be a, a you know, an alpha predator, to be like a truly optimized human, uh, like you have to be fit, you have to be lethal and capable. Um, you have to have temperance and control and patience and kind of grace. And, uh, and one of those very clear things to me. And when I, when I look at a person, not just their fitness level, or, you know, if they occupationally have to carry a firearm, but also like, what can they do with their, like, them as a person can they protect themselves can they lift their body up on top of a roof can they lower their body to go and rescue somebody that fell into a pool um like these are like very human intrinsic things that a person should be able to do so like seeing that at the go ruck event i was already elated i was already like through the moon so pumped that jason that, that they put that into this go ruck event and uh so i came into that training morning of like the introduction to sheepdog response, the introduction to the unarmed combatives, the introduction to jujitsu, introduction to grappling. I don't remember what they named it. It was probably one of those. Um, and it was like to empower them with as much information and, and capability to go into this final event to just go out and rock it.
0: Yeah, well, you had so many people of all shapes and sizes, and it was funny. I mean, you know, the the different people that volunteered to be, you know, with you demoing certain techniques were so diverse. But it was just amazing for us to see that community. But also, it's funny circling around of what you said. You spoke to with Jason. That's also an observation that I found in doing jiu Not so much in in the kickboxing side cuz obviously the cardio element is is a lot higher just you know I think by the nature of the training but the the gym I'm in now which I absolutely adore I drive 40 minutes each way to tra- train at this new gym. Um but I've noticed that as someone who's not very skilled I'm a blue belt now um but is I would say relatively fit for my age being a firefighter and taking my training seriously it is telling 2 or 3 rounds into it. That there is a fitness deficiency that's that's taken away a lot of their ability. Then, so with that, whether it's in the law enforcement training or even in the sport jiu-jitsu world, what are you seeing as far as that strength and conditioning component in addition to jujitsu training itself? So, like the, the the peak
1: the peak competitors right now, you know, like the Gordon Ryan's and uh, the Mickey Rodriguez's, um, Craig Jones's, Victor Hugo's, Nick um those guys are very fit. Uh, you know, like when you look at elite level fighters, um, John Jones, uh, Israel Adyashana, um, the, every champ at every single weight class, they're specimens. You know, they, they, they not just train to fight wrestling, grappling, kickboxing, you know, MMA, in general sparring, but they also have a separate strength and condition regimen. And, um, that hasn't made it into grappling yet. Some do it, some don't, uh, and, but none of them are that, you know, there's not like a really clear guideline as to what does strength and conditioning look like for a grappler. And, um, I, I think that's coming.
0: Absolutely. Well, I want to go to an area. I heard a great conversation with you on Carl Kingsbury's podcast. And he obviously he was very, very vulnerable in telling his near miss story of uh, potentially a kidnapping of one of his own children, which was incredibly powerful. And I urge people to listen to that conversation as well. But you've been on episode 3, 114 and 304 now of this one. And we've talked about your backstory. We'll get to to your autobiography that's coming out very soon. Um, but one area that I hadn't really gotten, I'm sure it was probably you were you were keeping that till you're ready to talk about it, was kind of like your teen or early twenties rock bottom story before you started that upswing into the military and, and became this successful, you know, man now in so many areas. And I think that's an important story to tell if you're okay you know retelling it because you were in police you were in fire and then you realize okay these weren't areas that you thrived you weren't you know at the pinnacle when you entered the the military and there's a very empowering story of someone who is seen as you know a real leader in so many areas now that once was in a very very different place
1: the, uh i mean that's 20 so 2022 right james the every um it's never a straight line, right? Like it's this perfect track, this flawless trajectory of, um, improvement. You know, you don't have the, nobody sees the, the peaks. Everybody sees the peaks. Nobody sees the valleys, right? And the ebb and flow of things. Um, you know, everybody sees the final product of what is a refined sword, but you never saw the piece of trash that was once just like a lump of crap that came out of the ground. Um, and yes, imagine that I, I too was a lump of crap that was in the ground and by no means am I like a refined sword, uh, you know, but I've definitely been pounded on a lot and, uh, and I think I'm getting plenty more poundings all the time. So like, uh, you, it's almost unfair to look at that one moment and call that one moment like rock bottom because, you know, when you will read the, my book, scars and stripes, there are more rock bottoms after that, but, um, in my late teens, early 20s, I knew I wanted to be in that first responder role. And, uh, you know, eight, 18, I was at Cuesta College going to um, an EMT course while I was doing all my prerequisites um, in junior college. And then, you know, applying to fire stations and finally getting a job and starting to work as a firefighter, um, knowing that. For a lot of reasons, I I would have rather been a police officer. So already kind of positioning myself for that as soon as I was old enough, going to the police academy, and then um, you know after graduating the police academy, you know, a litany of of bad decisions, uh, it ultimately leading to me standing on the beaches of Morrow Bay, California, uh, looking west out over the ocean, um, out into the fog, and um, you know, taking all of my clothes off, taking my keys and my wallet, and just dropping them on the sand um and then walking into the water like I was born, but ass naked, and um starting to swim due west into that frigid freezing, nearly freezing water of the Pacific Ocean of uh, the central central coast and um you know no 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 real clarity as to what I'm doing. Um, just knowing I needed to do something. Um, I needed to get away. I needed to swim. I needed to, like almost, I mean, I felt like I want to use baptism words, you know, like I, I wanted to be wrenched I wanted to be cleansed. I wanted to be freed. I wanted to be reborn. Um, and at that time I had a few women pregnant. I thought I might have AIDS. Um, and, uh, the, you know, the patriarch of our family, my grandpa dying of emphysema, losing every breath he took would the next breath would be just slightly less. Um, you know, him being the rock of, of all of my escapes would be at his house at the beach, waking up to him, making me breakfast and, you know, listening to, To whatever my problem was, you know, this is the greatest generation—a man that fought in World War II, you know, helped drop bombs on Nazis and survived the Great Depression. Um, You know, faithful to my amazing grandma his whole entire life, sixty years, um, like everything that you'd ever want. He—he is it, and just watching him slowly erode into nothingness, compounded by every bad decision that a young man could make, and I would make all of the wrong decisions that a young man could make. Um, you know, swimming West, being in the fog, not knowing which way to go, not knowing which way is shore, not knowing which way is the waves, not knowing which way is the rock. Um, but continuing to swim because I don't want to drown. Um, you know, I don't want blackness. I don't want to go into the drink and it to be the end. Um, but I also didn't want to go back to what was. And uh ultimately a Coast Guard boat cruises up next to me with uh with the captain's legs dangling off the front as he leans forward and is like, Hey man, what are you doing down there? And um told him I was swimming and he's like, No shit, Sherlock, you know, he just laughs. He's like, Oh, so even ev- even in this, here you are being sarcastic. So I'm gonna have more respect for your life than clearly you do why don't you tell me what's going on? So I tell him, I give him a gross summary, a little executive summary of, of where I am. And, uh, and he says, well, I'm only going to ask you one time if you want to get out of the water. And, um, he just sat there, you know, and I was like, man, water's pretty cold. And he leans forward he looks at my my shriveled up little pecker in that cold water, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, man, I, I see that, but like, this is your one chance." And um, so I clambered up his little ladder, and they threw a wool blanket on me that felt like it was a billion needles driving into my skin. If you ever had a navy wool blanket, you you'll you'll know what they feel like. They're not comfortable, and um, and but the pain was so. Refreshing. The pain was so incredible and so acute and so sharp, and you know, millions of little steel knives going into my back. And, um, and I was alive. I was not dead. I was not at the bottom of that ocean, um, being swept out to sea and to be eaten by crabs. I, um, I had a chance. So that was the beginning of me starting to figure out what it meant to be consistent in making good decisions. And, um, and I'm stressing like that was the beginning because I make lots more bad decisions and uh, ones that I, am, I am, will be internally ashamed of. And uh, you know, like I will carry shame of some of those decisions forever. But it was, it was the beginning of a trend of me starting to try to do the right thing.
0: Well, I mean, it's so, you know, powerful to, to hear that. And I think that's the, the vulnerability that has moved most people on this podcast, whether they've come on and they're, you know, Navy SEALs or, you know, whoever the, the alphas I'm doing air quotes. And when people say, no, you know, of course I have these, these moments. And actually when I was a kid, this happened to me and you know, this is where I went. And one day I was sitting, you know, contemplating my suicide or whatever it was. These are the stories that I think are so important for people to hear. And it's so easy to kind of have that, uh, you know, Instagram highlight real lens and not understand the journey that these men and women have been through. So, yeah, I think that's what's so exciting about your book to actually hear and to share, as you said, the, the peaks and the valleys of the, the timeline that you've experienced.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be wild. It's going to be um, a, pretty, a pretty different book because it's all in there. You know, it's all real.
0: Now, another area I want to talk about... Um, Going back to our first conversation, you had done a Facebook post. I don't know if you remember or not, but about this would have been about five and a half years ago now, and it was a it was basically on mental health, and it was really aimed at finding purpose and you know filling your day full of of healthy outlets. Um, when you've gone through writing this book, when we've seen a lot of you know the the mental health issues that we continue to see in the uniform professions. Have there been any other kind of um aha moments or or changes of ideas on on the mental health side for you specifically?
1: The um consistency. I I, I the um uh, so it is still like a problem in the way that people talk about mental health is um the best, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. You know like exercising every single day not smoking or drinking, not doing drugs, you know, being a faithful spouse, being a good parent, making sure you work hard and have good human interactions and relationships with your colleagues and associates. Like all of those things contribute little in, like inter- incrementally to creating a better healthier person. So when you do have darker moments, when you do have struggles, when you do have adversities, like you're not in you know, like insert that same moment on the beach but I was doing drugs. Um, I had, I, I'm not an athlete, you know, like I'm fat, I'm eating like crap and put me out into that water. I'm dead. You know, I'm, I'm dead. Actually, I wouldn't even be on the beach. Cause I would have, I would have already sucked, started a shotgun, you know, but there, there there were some coping mechanisms that were present that I think saved my life. Definitely fitness because like I would have drowned, you know, and death, def, like definitely martial arts and having a family and having people there that when I came back were able to be there and start helping me figure out how am I gonna dig myself out of this hole. Um, but like you're never in that hole alone. And you're like picking up a phone, yes, calling a suicide prevention hotline is going to help you in that moment. Having somebody that is going to be there. But like, what about all of the other things that you could do in that individual responsibility, you know, in that extreme ownership idea of Jocko of like, what are you doing? What are you doing to be healthy? And I get it. Sometimes you can't do anything. You're so trapped by all of the demons and all the baggage and all of the pain and all the heartache. But like, um, that was also all you, you know, you, 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 are able just like all the baggage that you put on there you are also able to get it all off of you and um you know just just this year and i mean very very recently in, in an effort to protect my friend um you know i i get a call from somebody 10 hours away that is in a bad place that is thinking about killing himself and, um, me and a fellow green Bray hop in a car and we drive there and we had to fight. We had to fight the system. The system was so broken. Be like, oh, well, I'm not sure if this qualifies as an immediate threat to his health or well being. So I don't know if we can admit him at this hour. You may have to wait until tomorrow. Like. Uh, well, we're getting a hotel room and we're going to literally sleep on top of him. Like, that's what's going to happen. I don't care what you're going to do. And when we show up tomorrow, if we cannot put him in there to get immediate treatment and help, I'm going to burn this place to the ground. And, um, you know, it was it was wild having to struggle through the brokenness of the system. And the system is not going to save you. You know, like I I, I I say this in everything that I do. No help is coming. There's no one coming to save you. There's no one coming to rescue you. You're on your own, whether that's fighting for your life, whether that's like you as an entrepreneur, like you're going to have to do it. I know community and I know tribe and I know culture and I get it, but like, what are you doing to make you better, to make the next dark day a little bit easier? Cause it's going to be on you.
0: Absolutely. Well, one more area I just want to touch on before we start going into all the amazing projects that you got going on at the moment. You're, you you mentioned that your dad was uh, a, a narcotics officer himself and then you know as you said you had your you know your experience through highs and lows and now you know very recently you've been working even on on the border with Mexico a resounding theme over and over again in this conversation whether it's with law enforcement whether it's even with members of our military is um the war on drugs you know and and drug prohibition and to me when we create, as you said, you got individual responsibility and you got an environment that either promotes or inhibits good choices by the individual. This is, I'm not loading this question at all. But through my eyes as a firefighter paramedic, I've seen the epic failure of drug prohibition, how we've empowered the underworld and, you know, even cartels in different countries by, you know, creating, um, our, excuse me, making our addicts in the criminal system rather than the medical system, getting a mental health treatment and getting them off those horrendous substances. Totally without loading the question at all, what has been your observation of that specific topic?
1: Um China's evil. You know, like fentanyl is is wildly dangerous and um, they should be held accountable for, for creating it, distributing it, manufacturing it, and then getting it into the cartel's hands so then to be distributed to us. So like, yeah, again, China, you suck. Um, and, uh, and man, I, I'd argue that it's intentional because as you see overdoses and fentanyl use and how prolific it's being across the board, um, you know, man, that stuff's evil. Um, our systems, our systems are broken. You know, I don't think it's a surprise where, you know, homelessness is a mental health problem that's not being treated like a mental health problem. You know, like drugs by it going into the criminal organization; those people aren't being treated. You have high levels of recid- recidivism. You know, people commit a crime because they're now part of that criminal system instead of being treated like a patient and being able to see help. They're then almost condemned future to future consequences related to that same illness. Um, you know, but there there is a fine line of like should there be criminality for people's use or selling of drugs absolutely because it's it, it's altering lives in a negative way uh, but then like the people on the user side how do we help them and be able to empower them to seek help and then get treatment and become helping helpful contributing members of society and the way that the system is it's broken like it's just going to get worse and it has been getting worse. Um, and it will continue to descend into worseness until we have radical change.
0: Yeah, I agree completely. I won't get into my whole soapbox about Portugal and all that stuff in this particular conversation, but there are countries that have got, you know, other, other ways of doing it where it's put in the medical hands and it's working very well. But you know, that's, that's another discussion for another time that on that theme though, um, Creating a positive environment, I think, is is such a powerful conversation. I just finished a, a book called uh, *Stolen Focus* by uh, Johan Hari, and he details all the different things that are distracting us, and education is one of them. Creating, you know, th- this kind of Old school, school system that we had that really was creating drones to work in factories, you know, has come to the point now where, you know, it's just another broken system with great teachers that are in the system, but they are, you know, having to standardize tests. And these kids are, you know, these elementary kids are waking up at the crack of dawn. And, and there's so many areas I think that are working against the enjoyment of education. So talk to me about, you know, if there was a turning point that made you decide that you were going to be part of the solution when it came to education. And and then kind of lead me through the the genesis of the school.
1: And so uh the beginning was was me as a child as a learner um being in an education system that would not work for me. Uh, I, you know, like duct taped to chairs, uh, belted and paddled by teachers. I know it's like horrific cause it's abuse now, but back then it was, it was not that uncommon to, to have a student get spanked. And um, I was like in trouble a lot, but there was nothing wrong with me. I was just a five, six, seven year old boy and uh, you know that needed to move and that needed my own way of learning and that needed to structure things my way and the that went against the way that the system was built so like i knew by the time i got to the military you know obviously i had to go into special operations and special forces special forces is way different than the military you know like it's it's um i mean sometimes they're so dissimilar like you have to understand the the mechanisms and the systems and the processes that the that the military works in so that you can use them um, but then you have to be so – there has to be such a paradigm shift and so atypical and so out of the box in how you think and execute that you're then able to do the these missions that are seemingly impossible under the constraints of the systems and processes that are regimented within the military. So it's this really weird dichotomy on the… On the education side, it's kind of similar like that. you know like every every hero, every child is different, and they all learn in different ways, and you have to have this conducive environment for them to be able to thrive and for them to be able to grow and Then you look at what is now our public school education system, and I don't think any rational, logical person is going to look at that and be like, "Yeah, that's built for my son and daughter to make them really achieve critical thinking and be able to succeed in life later. That is not what those things are built for." That, I mean, I argue that if you objectively walked into a school and you're wanting to have a good citizen that is free thinking, that has critical thinking, that then can be a contributing member of society in some way, and you looked at a school, you would come to the same conclusion that I have that that thing is in an opposite effort, an opposite effort, not not collaborative, not even in the same direction. I'm talking like completely, acutely fighting what should happen for a young person's brain. And um, as a father of four children, my children have never been a day in one of those places that have limited how they would think. My, I am very proud to say that my children are free thinkers that they are they they even my big ones that are in college we do not agree on everything and that's okay because we can sit down and have these socratic discussions and argue about like what is beth my my 19 soon to be 20 year old daughter just just two days ago we we sat down and we're we're talking about um some pretty heavy things lgbtq and you know abortion and um you know like we're having like back and forth great conversations and discussions and, and she was able to have those and she wasn't perpetuating and repeating these talking points from that, that were, that were up on the dry erase board. She sat there and like thought about everything that I said and she listened to my words and then would come back with real data. And I was like, One, you're fiercely beautiful. I'm so proud of you. Two, you're still wrong. And let me explain why. (laughs) Um, But it was so fun, you know, and like, and that's what should be happening. And and they're, they're succeeding in everything that they go and do. You know, then you look at what's happening, what's being produced from universities and public schools right now and i just pity them i pity them they're little consumers and they're little lemmings that are distracted by every next shiny object the next covid or the next ukraine or the next you know insert the next hot thing the kardashians or you know the the next will smith slap or the next you know leak of the supreme court like whatever it is That's the next thing. And they're swiping and they're swiping and they're swiping and they're refreshing and they're refreshing and they're never creating. They're never building and they're never imagining and they're never critically thinking.
0: Well, it's so – powerful, you know, watching that you create your own, because I had a guy, Passy Salberg on the show. I think I sent you his, his episode a long time ago, but he's originally from Finland and he now tours the world. He's based in Australia, but he teaches the world about the Finnish model and you look at that, you know, and, and their, their school day is much shorter. They look at the child holistically, you know, they actually inject a lot more, um, kind of financial and other areas of resources into the poorer areas and lift them up rather than having this kind of elitist system where you know you have to compete for the funding um, so it's it's such an incredibly different lens and they're you know top of the the chain when it comes to education and you know holistic education like the the, the healthier child so talk to me about Apogee and and what that looks like and what those students experience versus the kind of, you know, standardized testing model that so many of us are familiar with.
1: Yeah. So um, Apogee Cedar Park, which is my private school. We also have the Apogee program, which is an online mentorship for young men. Um, Both of those programs kind of have the same goal, which is individual responsibility. These are learner driven. um, You know, we're going to create, we're going to create processes and systems that, that, that will enable that learner, that hero, to be successful as what at, what they want to do, you know we don't want um, you know I don't want to put a book in front of somebody and then walk up to a dry erase board and tell them how to think or how to do something. Yes, if you're going to be doing algebra, here are the formulas, and I'm going to give you those formulas, and I'm going to give you the resources to be able to lo- to use them. I'm going to be able to guide you with the right questions to be able to successful with them. But like, ultimately, like maybe algebra and calculus isn't necessary for what you want to do you know, maybe you're going to go start a business and like, we really need to be talking about statistics. You know, we really need to be understanding accounting and we really, really need to be breaking down, you know, how p and sheets work and how marketing strategies work and how to get a business license and how to get insurance. And uh, wouldn't our times be so better spent? Like if you want to become a welder, cool. Let's talk about engineering. Let's talk about like how thermodynamics really work. You know, like why are we using different currents? All- or, 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 um, I'm going to sit you down in a chair and I'm going to force you to read w- whatever the new hot Pulitzer Prize is that has no relevance for anybody's critical thinking.
0: Because, God forbid, we get Dr. Seuss out there. He's racist yeah. and anti Semitic and whatever right. else. <laughs> yeah, he'd fight Nazis, but whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, then, speaking about the box, because I want to transition, because I know I want to be mindful of your time. Um, Let's talk about Afghanistan. So I saw, you know, obviously there was a lot of, a lot of discussion on the actual withdrawal. There seems to be, you know, no, um, yeah, no mixed messages when it comes to the discuss on how it was done and how long we were even in there in the first place, especially by your community. But so many people were left behind. You know, I've had I've had people from Afghanistan on the show. I've had people that, that were allies from Iraq on the show. Um so talk to me about, you know, that whole withdrawal through your lens and then what you and Save Our Allies have been doing.
1: Yeah. Uh so Save Our Allies is is an NGO, a non-government organization, a nonprofit that I went to Afghanistan with during the fall of Afghanistan to help evacuate, save our allies, not really misnomer. You know, like we're there to save our allies so we're getting out Americans. We're getting getting out green card holders. You know, spouses to Americans. We're getting out of uh, special people with special immigration visas. You know, those were sometimes commandos that worked with special forces, like our translators, our pilots, um, like all the people that the Taliban were going to go and kill because they believed in a better uh, approach to freedom than what the Taliban had in mind. Those were the people that we we're trying to help and save. Um, and uh, Save Our Allies has you know, during the 10 day evacuation that we are there um, while I was on the ground, we, we moved 12,000 people and uh, we're, I think we're up to 17,000 people that we've moved and rescued out of Afghanistan. Um, We have a few hundred more that we're, 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 you know, we not just got them out. We also lily padded them. We put them, you know, like we found to try to find the permanent places for them to live and flourish and be successful. Um, You know, I don't want to disparage or throw stones but a lot of groups not just man okay I'll, I'm gonna throw stones <laughs> yeah motherfuckers! I have never seen such a cesspool of evil people than people that will ca- capitalize on moments of crisis like that to include some nonprofits that will take millions and millions of dollars to go and like rescue people or go and do something but then like not do anything. And maybe even inhibit other people from doing things because that would then outline how little they were doing. Um, I mean I am talking about like I want to nuke their worlds and salt their fields, scorched earth level of evil that are some of these people that went over to help, that were saying they were going over to help. But they weren't really helping, but they were taking millions of dollars, and they're getting paid while they were over there, but they also weren't rescuing anybody. And there were a lot of people like that. Uh, All right. So save our allies was not, you know, like we physically, probably every group that you guys saw in the headlines didn't even have people on the ground in Afghanistan. Think about that for a second. Like if you donated money to have to a group that was going to go and rescue people out of Afghanistan, and then they didn't even have people in Afghanistan. Well, money well spent. Um, Myself and uh, a few other guys that were in Afghanistan in Kabul that were at HKIA, you know, loading private planes, loading um, government planes, loading planes going to UAE and to Qatar, um, you know, it was like some of the most horrific things I've ever seen in my life that happened in Afghanistan during the fall. I'll, I'll call it the fall of Afghanistan during our withdrawal, and um, when uh, when all was said and done, you know, I ended up on the ramp of a uh, C-17 flying fly to Qatar um, the day after the bombing at uh, Abbey Gate where, of course, our our soldier, our servicemen and women were killed.
0: Well, it was so, so tragic as well. And it reminds me of Tu Lam when he came on. This is several years ago now, but his family fled after the fall of Vietnam. And so all the southern Vietnamese were being targeted and, you know, basically – you know, just eradicated for for supporting the Americans back then, and so we had these you know conflicts happen before, and we knew what was going to happen, and I think that sent such a a god awful message to our allies in Iraq, our allies in Afghanistan, and obviously future allies that you know we we paint ourselves as a cavalry, but yet this is how we're going to leave them in their own country. So I mean, as as a you know proud American now, I I I feel like that was one of the the lowest moments that. We literally dropped everything, pulled everyone out, and and yeah, I mean, all the work that you you know you and your men and women had done was, I, I mean, i even I, don't, I literally physically cannot put it into words, but it was just so fucking disappointing watching it as a civilian.
1: Yeah, um, I had one of my great friends, Ashley Mariana. He's um he's a command star major in special forces. And he used this analogy, he and I, I, I are struggling just like you you are. And I think every American is like, you know, the 20 year war. That was the America's longest war, like all of the bloodshed, all of my friends that lost their limbs and lives there. Like that, you know, I lost my innocence there. Um, like, was it for nothing? And he used this analogy and it was a beautiful analogy. And he used this, um, this parable of, a surgeon, a doctor treating a cancer patient and, um, you know, he's doing radiation treatments and you just surgery to take out this lump. And, you know, he, he's just spending hours and hours treating this patient with cancer, you know, and, and for, for 20 years, he fights the cancer in this, in this person's body. And then ultimately this This person dies, you know, and you know how ignorant and how selfish would it be of us to look from the outside in to say that that doctor failed when, in fact, he gave life for twenty years? you know did every moment that he spent trying to save this person 's life not matter? Of course, it mattered, and um, not that it provided solace solace, but it, I, I really like this idea that you know we. The Afghanistan that I saw, compare in in um, you know two thousand and six, compared to the Afghanistan that I think everybody saw in twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen, where there were women owning shops, you know, and there's women school teachers, you know, and there's people in Kabul walking down, um, not fully veiled, you know, doing whatever they want. Some of them are because it's their culture and it's their right; they can do whatever they want, um, and it's beautiful. And sometimes it's not, you know, and and depending on what's best for that individual, and that family and that culture. And, and they had all of those, all of that there for a while and now they don't, you know, um, but it doesn't diminish all of the sacrifice and work that all of our men and women did over there for 20 years. You know, they, they fought to save those people and they fought to save our people, you know, and during that, during those 20 years, um, you know, not, Again, did we have another 9-11? You know, never again did we uh have planes smash into buildings and thousands of Americans die at the hands of radical terrorists. Um so for twenty years, how many terrorist attacks did we stop? For twenty years, how many lives did we save? I don't know.
0: No, exactly. And I think that's that's the paradox is I hear from a lot of your community that we should have been out a lot sooner. You know, go in, uh, break down the camps, attack the, the high profile targets and then leave. But at the same time, those men and women that are struggling, because obviously, you know, that's, that decision was made higher than any of you guys. Yeah. I mean, you hear the stories of, of the humanitarian. This was so beautiful about so many of the, the members of military that come on here, the humanitarian stories where, you know, whether it's just simply, you know, giving, giving candy to or playing soccer with kids or military veterinarians treating local animals. I mean all these stories that'll be on the show. Absolutely you left it better than you found it, you know, overall. And so everyone that was over there should be proud of what they did. It was just so disheartening that the plug was pulled with no real plan and, you know, so many people were left behind to fend for themselves. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um But we I mean I don't know where it's going to go from here, but the the Taliban's going to taliban and, and people but uh, freedom has a way you know so i, I don't know where it's going to go but i have hope
0: well speaking of hope transitioning to another country we're recording this uh you know the middle of may it's obviously going to come out when when you're able to talk to you, but i know that you're going to be part of a an effort assisting in eastern europe now so talk to me about that
1: so, I mean, so save our allies. You know, if you go to saverallies.org right now, you know, like it is, uh, it is not Afghanistan specific. Uh, there are contested areas of the world all over the world, and right now, Eastern Europe is one of them. Um, and uh, I'm su- I'm assuming Southeast Asia will also be another one in in the in the near future. Uh, I hope not, but it's going to be. And um, so we are we have positioned to respond to those type of de- devastating tyrannical draconian government assholes that do those things so um yeah i'll be going with Saber allies to eastern europe to to help with um russia's invasion with ukraine and um you know how long i'm going to be over there and uh i know what i'm going to be doing i can't tell you what i'm going to be doing but we know we're going to be doing great stuff trying to you know it's Man, I'm just proud of say our allies and everything that they do. I'm proud of my, my you know, my, my team, um Sarah Verardo, and Nick Paul our our board members, and uh, you know, Susan and uh, we was have such a great, great group of people with great hearts. And uh and it's you know, what we never forget about is the person, the individual, whether it's in Afghanistan, it's somebody that we left behind you know, or some farmer in Ukraine that's trying to make it to Poland, you know, his daughter's wounded and, you know, cool. Everybody else forsaked you, but like we haven't. So um and a lot of people haven't. There's a lot of people stepping up to help. So everybody that has helped, thank you. And um, you know, we're gonna keep hustling. We have the best and brightest in the world on this on this current problem.
0: Now one of the most heartwarming images I saw was russian people protesting what was going on under their flag so what are you seeing as far as that i mean is there a lot of opposition i understand the kind of political philosophy that they're forced under so you know the ability to speak freely is kind of suppressed in that country but are you seeing a lot of opposition from russia itself
1: i mean i I haven't been in russia uh you know i've seen Propaganda videos of, you know, Putin's approval ratings. And I've seen, you know, videos of Putin in in, student, in stadiums with, you know, hundreds of thousands of people all cheering him, you know, so it's really, really, really difficult. Like if you follow me on Instagram, you will see the amount of bots that are on there right now. There's no doubt that those were China and Russian bots, you know, because it was some hashtag Ukraine, hashtag Russia, hashtag Putin. And that essentially ignited the bot chain into my um, – the bot hate into my Instagram comments. Uh, you know, they are very strategic. They have people that were Ivy League educated running all of those bot farms that have, you know, tens of thousands of accounts that can attack, you know, any freedom-loving – person that's speaking out against putin so uh man it's 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 really really difficult to read between the lines to see what is propaganda and what is truth
0: interesting well thank you yeah i mean i I think i posted one and i got a whole bunch of russian people (laughs) hating on me so uh i'm assuming it was probably the same bots even though my following is a lot smaller than yours well bringing it back to the u.s then so Let's talk about Sheepdog Response and your new Jujitsu school. So you've got a brand new HQ and you've got a, a kind of um, brick and mortar facility for your Jujitsu as well.
1: Oh yeah! So um, we opened the headquarters to Sheepdog Response a couple of months ago, and um, you know it is it is a one one stop shop under that roof. We have Noble Defender, which is my tactical accessory line. You know, weapon mounts, suppressors. Um, mounts to go in your truck, in your safe, in your garage. Every if, if you need a weapon that is like fashionably and safely secured, but very easily accessible, cool. Noble Defender. You know, like we're trying to be very innovative in our suppressors. Um, you know that's there. Our Sheepdog Response retail store is there. So like all of our you know fanny packs and um, our belts and holsters and mag holders, all of those things are physically fulfilled out of that building. And you know you can walk into our courses. That is also our training headquarters. So this week we ran a women's only protector one course and we went ran um, led by Matt Smith, our, our director of, of training, um, our, uh, tactical trauma response course and, um, which is like medicine in, in tactical and austere environments. Um, and that was like this week alone, in addition to the grand opening of our jujitsu gym, uh, so absolute w- madness and, and wild banana times that we're having in that building. Cause it's just like, it's a madhouse right now. And it is so much fun. Um, and it's like a mile and a half from my school. Now it's like two miles from my school. So like today, some of the parents that do also do jujitsu at the school and their kids do jujitsu at our school, like the parents from my private school Apogee, they end up you know, we're having our meetings about how to do our newsletters proper in our building all the while, you know, Carl, our, our CEO and Justin are over there like strategically planning with Matt, who's leaving for Colorado tomorrow to go run another sheepdog response protector one course. So it's like, it is so magical, especially in light, you know, as, as like Buffalo just happened and watching that shooting, I'm not sure if you, if you watch the live video.
0: I have um, I haven't but, yet no I know it just happened and I've been on a big kind of social media detox the last couple of weeks so I haven't seen it yet but I've heard horrific things and certainly a lot of yeah you know, it seems like evidence that this was a racially motivated attack as well
1: yeah the, the dude's pure evil I hope he burns in hell in the hottest depths of hell and then um I can bring him back to life so then I can kill him again and then he can go back to those depths of hell to to spend eternity in that fire um it uh, it is a very as horrible and painful and uncomfortable it is to watch this video, um, it really, really reaffirms everything that we do. Um, for how do you respond to something like that? What weapon am I carrying? How often do I train? Am I medically trained? Do I have medical stuff? Um, do I like watching? He was very efficient, and that's the scary thing to say about people getting killed. But he was very efficient, and um, and I think most people that would watch that video are going to be like, there's nothing I could have done to stop it. And I think that's just not, that's just flat out fallacy. That is flat out. Not true. You can train. And, um, I, I had an argument with Justin, Justin Lakin, one of my best friends, um, he works for sheepdog response and, and TKO. And he's like, you know, I don't even know what I would have done. And I was like, okay, think about infantry seven dash eight. You know, we're talking about battle drill, um, what are you gonna do? He's like, I'm gonna return accurate fire. I'm gonna cover. I'm like, boom. How long would it take you to do that? Like, what is your OODA loop process in that? He's like, I don't know, like half a second. And I was like, okay, you have rounds on in half a second. Cool. It took him four seconds to get that first round out. That's after we watched him drive through the parking lot. There's a dude with a tactical helmet, ballistic glasses, and gloves in body armor stepping out with an AR. No, bro, like you would have been on him. And it took him a second to be like, you're right, you're right. I would have, you know. And I was like, yeah, you would have been around the corner. You know, maybe you would have whisked your family away. Maybe you wouldn't have. Maybe you just would have gone straight to him and put rounds in his skull. But either way, you would have done something. And that's because he's a highly trained, highly motivated, highly capable, highly lethal person. But like watching that video initially, it was like, it is frightening. It is frightening. And the only way that you can conquer evil like that is skilled men and women with violence that are ready to respond, that are going to do something. Otherwise, he will just do what we just saw happen.
0: Well, doing sheepdog response myself when you came to Florida a few years ago, I mean, it was so eye opening, especially coming from the UK. I mean, I grew up with guns, but it was hunting, shotguns on the farm. And, you know, I wasn't thinking about being attacked with a gun in, in the UK because it just wasn't really a thing at all. Um, but then you moved to the US and you completely reframed. And then I had a, you know, a, a near miss at my son's school, a code red that thank God was a, a false alarm. Um, and it really just reframed the way I looked at things and doing the weapons training of which I was a fucking if there's a, a belt lower than white belt that's what I was I had mags in my pocket and was borrowing a gun and <laughs> so now fast forward you told us to get better I have my own pistol I've you know go to the range I do dry firing I, I you know when I'm doing jiu now I'm not just thinking about sport jujitsu. I'm thinking about striking and you know weapon retention and all these areas so Still, you know, very, very low level. But as you said, if each one of us moves a needle as a member of the community, then I think firstly, you can respond better. But secondly, you can be more of a deterrent. And I think that's another area, you know, when you have an environment where, I mean, I went to a concert the other day and I couldn't see the stage for the cell phones. It was insane. So you know, just by putting awareness back in and community, whether it's protecting against an attack or maybe just being present enough to stop anyone becoming an attacker in the first place because they were hurting and you fucking completely missed it. You know that sheepdog mentality, that community mentality is so important. And I urge anyone listening to take one of your courses because it absolutely changed the way I think about everything.
1: Yeah, everybody has to do it. We got to get. We have to get empowered citizens back like it's time it's time like it's gonna get worse until we have capable self-reliant independent citizens that can protect themselves and their
0: family absolutely well i wanted to throw two things very very quickly at you so i can let you go very first before we get to the book um i just interviewed dean stott from the uk um and i know he's joining the 511 family so is there anything that you've got going on with that organization
1: dude 511 i love 511 um as i'm wearing 511 shorts right now uh the uh i got a 511 body armor right there you can't you can't see it because there's audio but uh there's my 511 body armor 511 shorts 511 socks i look like i'm a poster right now um i'm just so proud to work with them they really they really do care they're always be ready is is not a slogan um You know, with my book coming out, they have some really cool things happening with Father's Day. They have some amazing things happening with some, if I wrote, I can't show you, but like right over here uh, to my left are some new products that are going to be dropping this year. And all of them are just designed around exactly what we're talking about. Being able to, like training is the biggest piece of it, you know, but are you equipped with the right stuff to be able to actually go and do the work? And um some people can say yes, some people can say no. Like, how are you carrying? What are you carrying? How are you gonna introduce this weapon? And um five eleven just does it right, you know, like they, they had a rough start. I, I uh I was really on the fence about working with them initially with the, the product line that they had, but you know, now six, seven years later, they really, really have best in the world for first responders and people that believe in being a protector and being a sheepdog, you know, and, and, um, really carrying the shield or, uh, dying on
0: it, you know? Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. So you mentioned the book then. So let's talk about that to give me a little overview of what, you know, what the book looks like, and then we'll talk about where people can find it and when.
1: Yeah. The book scars and stripes, um, comes out June 7th. It is, uh, it's, I wrote it in first person in present tense and I wrote it, Uh, In absolute transparency with every failure, every, every falsehood, every fake moment of my life in full display. This is not an Instagram curated, editorialized, fantastic moment of my life. This is, this is, I think every person that reads a book like this relates to story after story because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's actually real, you know, like this, this is, it's foul language when uh, you know when I'm at work in the military. You're like, man, did you really use the f word that much? It's like, yeah, man, I'm surrounded by 12 other dudes that use the f word for commas and ands and for verbs and for nouns. So like, yeah, that's how we talk. And then I come home around my kids, and I was like, not a single peep out of my mouth, so my wife doesn't gut me. You know, but it's, it is it is just pure unadul- unadulterated realness, um, through fantastical stories, you know, you're going to read and it's not going to seem, it's not going to seem like this was one life, uh, you know, from fighting the UFC to, you know, fighting for world titles, to traveling overseas, to hunt poachers and human traffickers and pirates, and then going down to South America and hunting Nazis to being on TV shows where they set me on fire inside of a cabin, uh, of the fuselage of an airplane that they then screw closed hoping that I burn to death. Um, yeah. Special force. It's all in there and uh, it's scary, but it's real. And that's my life. Brilliant. when does it come out? June 7th. You can get it everywhere. You can get it at Barnes and Noble. You can get it, you know, um, I almost always have a URL on my Instagram or Facebook page. You can get it obviously on Amazon and books a million and all, all places where premium books are sold.
0: Brilliant. Well, Tim, like I said, I want to let you go because I know you just got back and you've got two little kids that need to, to spend time with their dad. But I just want to, again, say thank you so much. This is the fourth time you've come on. The first time I had zero episodes when you said yes. Now here we are with a lot more under my belt. But, you know, it's it's so important for us to hear your voice. You're, you're one of the most positive, you know, caring people out there. Sometimes will see the caricatures sometimes and now they'll get to read the real person behind that. But, yeah. you know, I know... I see your purpose, I see, you know, your mission and I know it comes from an amazing place and I'm just, you know, proud to have had you on four times and I just thank you so much for coming on again. Dude, anytime. I care, you care, and that's what matters.